talking about Abraham the other day. When I get in Abraham, it's hard to get out. Uh, I just like there's so many good uh, things in here in God's Word. And I, I, I love the people of the Bible. You know, the people of the Bible shows me, uh, you know, that at first when you think about some of the heroes of the faith, you know, you, you think of all the good things, but the Bible shows where they made mistakes too, where they where they failed, where they stopped trusting in God and trusted in themselves and everything else. Uh, but aren't you glad that God doesn't give up? He didn't give up on Abraham. He's not giving up on us. Uh, but even when the Bible shows the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, then you get all the way for the Old Testament, you get all the way to Hebrews 11, and God is still with them. God still loves them, and he remembers the things they did by faith, uh, and that blesses me and helps me to go on. Uh, I'm glad we've got a God that knows who we really are, uh, and he saved us, like we said, while we were yet sinners, so thankful for that. But we're going to look at the end of chapter 14. So Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 17 is where we'll start. We'll go uh, to the end, to the end of the chapter. So Genesis 14, 17 says this, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedor Laomir and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba, uh, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and yeah, he was the yeah. priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies under thy hand. And he gave them, he, and he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said unto the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram yes, rich. Yes. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, I pray uh, that you would open up our ears and our minds and our heart. Lord, uh, that we could learn something tonight, that we could draw closer to you, yes. challenge us, but also give us the grace and strength to rise up to the challenge. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. So Abraham, if you remember, he had been called out of his home country, Ur of the Chaldees. He was told to leave his kindred, his father's house, uh, and uh, he initially he goes halfway to Haran uh, until his father Terah dies, uh, and then they get to Canaan. And of course, you know, uh, as soon as they get to where God wants them to be, a grievous famine hits, and they decide to go to Egypt uh, to stay there for a while, uh, and they leave uh, with wealth and cattle and silver and gold and servants and everything else. And Abraham and his nephew Lot, because they both have so much cattle and stuff, they end up parting ways. And, uh, you know, Abraham gives Lot he, the choice. He says, you go one way, I'll go the other way. Uh, and, and Lot, and one of the sad things, he makes his decision not by going to the Lord or anything like that. Or you really, the best decision would have been, you know what, we can get together. Maybe I just 
Maybe we sell off some of the herd or something, but we need to stay together. But instead, Lot sees the plains of Sodom and said it looks like Egypt. It's well watered. Uh, So he got that taste of Egypt and it never left him. He he wanted it continually. So Lot heads to Sodom. You know, first he pitches his tent towards Sodom. And then we find himself later on living in Sodom. So he, he progressively gets deeper and deeper. And we know that Sodom always represents the world. Sin and the world and the world. Worst, uh, that the world has to offer. So in chapter, uh, so in the chapter earlier on, we've got some of these cities of the plain. They de- decide to stop paying tribute, uh, and then some of these cities join together, and there's a battle there. But again, you look at if you read that uh, maybe tonight or tomorrow, there's no thought of God. There's no turning to God, no asking Him uh, for direction or help or anything else. They don't seek out Abraham. They just rebel. That's all they do. Uh, and then what happens is city after city starts falling, and that uh, as the so instead of then repenting and turning. To God, that's what Sodom should have done, Uh, but instead of doing that, uh, they try to join together and fight. And that's what the world does. You know, the world doesn't stop and turn to God like they should when faced with a problem. What's the world do? They join together and they come up with a solution and they try to pull the resources and try to fix it, and it didn't work. They were overthrown and everything was taken. Uh, and, and that is the reality of the world's solutions. They're always empty at the end. You know, they always end up worse than they start. So there's this battle in the slime pits and, uh, uh, you know, everything is taken captive. So when Abraham, he receives word that Lot has been taken captive and the city and everything else, and he arms 381 of his servants, uh, or is it 318? I think it might be 318. I think my notes might be wrong, but 308, yeah, 318 in verse 14 says that. Uh, arms just uh, barely over 300 servants, uh, and they pursue after the armies of these five kings. They try to overthrow, and you think about, we don't have the number on the other side, but you can guarantee it's thousands and thousands and thousands of trained fighting men versus his eight, 318 servants. You know, where uh, maybe one of them was a farmer, maybe one was doing this, and and he gives them weapons, and they go. It's ridiculous. There's no way anything uh, positive should have come out of this, and he goes all the way to Dan. So he, uh, 200 miles north of Sodom, he travels to go fight for his nephew and free him, Uh, and then, of course, God gives him the victory. So that kind of what leads us up to the passage uh, and what happens in, in verse 18 is he's, as he's coming back, we don't know how far he is, probably right around the area of Salem, because we see in verse 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Yeah. So Abraham's coming southward from Dan, uh, and like I said, it's probably near Salem or passing through Salem, and he meets the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Now, in the, the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, names mean something. Every name that is given, you should look it up and see what it means because it will help you. Melchizedek, king of Salem, his name means the king of righteousness. And then uh, Salem means peace. So what it's saying right there, if you put it all together in the meanings, Mel- <clears throat> Melchizedek, king of Salem, means king of righteousness, king of peace. 
And you think, my goodness, what a title for somebody. What a name. Uh, but the Bible, again, it doesn't accidentally say that. You know what I noticed is look at the order. Righteousness comes before peace. Right? And don't we see that? Salvation. Uh, if you want peace in this life, you're not going to get it uh, turning to Sodom. You're not going to get it uh, leaning on the world and, and through sin. If you want true peace in this life, it's going to come through righteousness. It's going to come through Jesus Christ. So even in his name, you see a, a Bible truth there. But we also see that he was the priest of the Most High God. Yeah, and that was yeah. interesting. That should be that should uh, make you think because although we're before the time of the kings uh, of Israel, uh, you know Israel's just getting started with Abraham. Uh, you know it hasn't gone any further at this point in the Bible. But you know when you go later to the kings of Israel and Judah, they weren't allowed to be both a king and a priest. Remember what happened with King Uzziah? He got, you know, a little lifted up in pride. He wanted to offer incense himself, and they tried to stop him. And uh, the angrier he got, and, and he basically throws a fit, uh, and God turns him leprous, and he's cast out. And, uh, you know, Isaiah is, is grieving over that and his death. Uh, you know, but then not only that, but King Saul, remember, yeah, he's, he's remember, trying, yeah. he wouldn't wait for Samuel, he's, oh. he's impatient, he's saying, well, you know, I, I just had to do it, basically, it's your fault, and God didn't bless that either, God, God never wanted that to happen, because there's only one prophet, priest, and king, and that's, that's Jesus Christ, right. so they were not going to take that. So this is interesting. It should interest you that there's a king uh, here that's also a priest and that God's okay with that. Not only that, but he's a priest of the Most High God and, a, and the city is called Salem, which later became the city of David, which we know as Jerusalem. So we've got the yeah. king of Jerusalem here coming with bread and wine, coming to meet Abraham, uh, and he's also a priest. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of things going on here uh, that happens, but we get a little more information about Melchizedek. If you go to, uh, you don't have to turn here, but Hebrews 7 tells us kind of a, a parallel to this story. Verse 3, it talks about Melchizedek without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So we have no record of his birth, no record of his death, no record of his parents, no record of how he got there, no record of how long he served. Uh, in fact, he just jumps on the scene, and as quick as he comes into the Bible, he's gone. That's as fast as it is. That's all we see. Uh, but, but even with none of the lineage, none of the things recorded, uh, uh, it says he's made like the Son of God or made like Jesus Christ, and his priesthood is eternal. So either one of two things. Either he was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ who made visits in the Old Testament and visited Abraham as well. Or he's a very good type of Jesus Christ, a very good picture. Either way, this isn't a normal king we're talking about here. And look what he does, verse 19, Melchizedek to Abraham. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. 
Melchizedek meets Abraham, and the first thing he does is give him a blessing. And we have the words right here of at least part of it. He says, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And I notice something. He's not only blessing Abraham, he's teaching him something. Do you see what he's telling him right here? He's giving him, first he gives him a new name for the Lord. He calls him the Most High God. And God is capital right there. That's from Melchizedek. And first, see a few verses earlier, that is who he served as a priest. He served the Most High God. And now he's telling Abraham, uh, I'm going to bless you uh, of the Most High God. And this should astound you because Salem is a Canaanite city a pagan city, right? I mean, how on earth is there this king of righteousness, king of peace, that is a priest of the Lord, and he's coming to meet Abraham. And he's telling him, hey, the most high God that I serve, and he blesses him with that. But you see that, that he knows about the God, he serves God, and then he teaches him one more thing, or reminds him, if he didn't know this, that that Lord, the Most High God, is also the possessor of heaven and earth. He's saying he's over it all, right? He's the Most High God, and he owns it all. He possesses all, everything in heaven and earth. He teaches him that in just one sentence of a blessing. That's awesome. Verse 20, he goes on. And blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave them tithes of all. So yeah. he's teaching him, he's reminding him, he's saying, hey, just in case you forgot, or just in case you thought, because really Abraham had a good strategy. He split up the 318 into two groups. They attacked at night from two different directions. And you're thinking, wow, that's good strategy back in this time, you know, before flashlights and night vision and everything else. That's a good strategy he had. But still, we're talking about 318 versus thousands and who knows, 10,000. I mean, I have no idea how many of these armies together would have been. But he was vastly outnumbered. So Melchizedek is reminding Abraham, lest Abraham get prideful and yeah. think it's him. He's saying, hey, the Lord gave this to you. Whether he gave you the strategy or not, uh, he brought the victory. It's because of the Lord that your enemies were delivered into your hands. And that, that's something to think about. Uh, even with 318, there's no way they could have defeated everyone unless God was involved. And isn't that a good reminder for him to give right, right off the bat? Because I tell you what, in a big victory, sometimes we need reminded that it was the Lord and not us, right? And the last part of the verse can be a little confusing when we're reading the account in Genesis. And it says, and he gave him tithes of all. The problem is that can get confused with the he's because it's he and him and he and him and it keeps going back and forth but the confusion is taken away in Hebrews 7 4 now consider how this great man was uh, talking about Melchizedek unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils so it makes it clear and he Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes of all so we see that uh, that 
we think about, and you know, I, I grow tired, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I get tired today in, in this modern church age that we're in, where the people say that tithing is a bad word. You know, I, I, people spend so much breath trying to argue uh, that tithing is in the Mosaic Law, and therefore we don't have to follow it, and then who knows what they do instead. I don't know what they do. They never talk about that. They just say, don't tell me that I have to tithe. You know, that's what I hear over and over again. But... I'll give you a little news flash. Genesis is pre-Moses, <laughs> pre-law. This is way before all of that. And we see Abraham giving a tithe before Moses is around, before the law is around. Pre-law Abraham giving tithes to the king and priest of righteousness and peace. And that we know through Hebrews, I'm not going to go through all of it, but through Hebrews there is a connection between Melchizedek and Jesus Christ. And in fact, Hebrews says that, hey, if Abraham's given it to Melchizedek, Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. You know what that tells me? It was tithing is both before the law and after the law. And they'll argue with me and they'll say, well, Mike, but the church age is different. And I'll say, you know what, you're right. I'll give you that. You're right. In the book of Acts. Now, there's no, you can't argue with me that Acts doesn't govern the church, uh, but they, what happens in the book of Acts is, if you read it, is the early church, Christians start selling their houses and lands and bringing their money together, right? In fact, Barnabas, we get a, a specific example, he sells a piece of land and he gives not 10%, not 20 he gives 100% to the Lord, right? So then I would say... Okay, if you don't believe in tithing, well, you can do what he did and give 100%. You know what it really is today? It really is God wants a cheerful giver. And I've never seen him ask, I've never seen anywhere in the Bible go less than 10. And you surely can go more than 10. But wherever it is in between 10 and 100, you do it cheerfully. And you, you do it according to what God's led you to do. But either way, God expects these things. God expects it today. So don't give the argument that it's, that it's in the law because it's pre-law and it's continuing. But anyway, that was a quick commercial. <laughs> Verse 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself, that I will not take... Uh, and, and then Abraham's responding, Oh, I missed this. This verse 22. And Abraham said unto the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, uh, and that I will not take anything that is thine, save only that which the young men have eaten. And then he goes on to list some of them. Uh, but what he's saying is, notice this, as soon as Abraham uh, comes back, he's met with Melchizedek. He gets a blessing. He gets some instruction in the Lord. Right? His faith is growing. He learns more about God. But as soon as he walks away from Melchizedek, the king of Sodom. Oh, yeah. You see that? Right there. Uh, as, and he comes straight away with an offer, not a blessing. He's saying, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And you've probably heard me say this before. This is the trade the devil wants. You keep the stuff. I want the people. Right? That's what the devil wants. And he has made this trade so many times. The problem is people have given into it. Right? You've got parents with children. 
And instead of instructing them in the Lord, instead of bringing them into church, instead of uh, giving them a solid foundation in the Bible and everything else, they've decided that I'm going to take some opportunities and job offers and everything else. And now there's not enough time for church there. You know, I've got a career and everything else. And what have they done? They have traded their own children in for the spoils. That's what he's doing over and over again. And he'll make that trade with you yourself, too. He will give, I've said it before, opportunities that all they do are opportunities for you to get away from God. Realize Abraham was already rich, but he had learned a lesson because a lot of his riches came from Egypt, where he shouldn't have been, yes. and Haran, where he shouldn't have been. Right? That's where a lot of the riches came. Uh, his and, and those possessions brought him trouble through life. And he learned a lesson. He's saying, hey... Even though I've traveled hundreds of miles, even though I've fought uh, and trusted by faith, risked our lives to save Lot and everything else, we brought back all the spoils. He says to the king of Sodom, you can keep it. I don't want it. I don't want your stuff. I don't want, that, I don't want uh, them saying that, that you made me rich. I don't want any of that. But you give me back Lot. That's what God wants. He wants us to serve him, witness to the lost, intercede for the backslider. Uh, but here's the thing. We can get more concerned about careers and hobbies and money and everything else. But I want you to remind you of something we see right here. As soon as you have a spiritual victory, look for the king of Sodom to come around. Look for him to come as soon as that happened. Look for uh, even look for some temptation. Uh, look for some discouragement. Look for opposition. You just look for it to come. As soon as we trust God, this thing, these things will come. But Abraham knew that God had blessed him repeatedly through his life and had promised even greater blessings for him if he was faithful. So he didn't even want a shoelace. Uh, I like that from the king of Sodom. Yeah, uh, but, uh, so here's one thing, uh, and here's one thing that I, I didn't really catch until I was digging into it again. But you see right here, he says, uh, look at what he says in verse 21. Abraham says, after this offer, oh, I'm sorry, it's verse... Verse 22, so the offer is in 21 from the king of Sodom. Uh, you know, you take the stuff, give me the people. Verse 22, what's Abraham say to the king of Sodom? I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord. That's what's saying, hey, I've been trusting the Lord this time. You know, I, I, have, uh, he is, I have God, I am trusting him by faith. But look what he says right after that. The most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Where did he get that from? Melchizedek just told him Right? Just a few verses. When he talked to Melchizedek, what did he say? Bless me, Abraham, the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And as soon as temptation came right after that, what did he tell uh, the king of Sodom? The same thing that Jesus told the devil when he was tempted. He said, hey, he gave him what? Thus saith the Lord. And he's just explaining who the Lord is to the king of Sodom and saying, hey, uh, he owns it all. Yes. And I'm going to trust him. Yeah, that's what he tells him right there. He said, hey, I prayed to God before we left. I had him to help us rescue. And the Lord fought the battles for us. And that's the same Lord that's going to bless me today and continue to bless me. And I think it would help us if we would remind ourselves of that same thing and remind the devil that I'm not here because of what I've done and my hard work and everything else. I'm here because of what God's done. Even if you look on the career side of my life, 
You know, I could say, I, I could try to say, well, on, on the on, on the pastor side and on the spiritual side, you know, God's uh, raised me up, God's helped me, He's called me, He's He's given me wisdom and everything else. But then I could be tempted to say, but on the career side at work, that's been all me. No. He's been on every side. Yeah. He's given me uh, uh, opportunities to serve him and work. That's a blessing right there. And he'll help each one of us out. But we need to remind ourselves where we're at. And a lot of times we are where we are today in spite of ourselves. It's all of God. But we've been blessed beyond measure by the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. We don't need to rely on Sodom to make us rich. We don't even need to rely on Sodom to pay our bills or to feed us. We just call on God, and he will. He feeds the birds. Why won't he feed us? He'll take care of us as well. And it's by the grace of God. I was thinking about this today. By the grace of God, he gave me the mind to work. He blessed me with the intelligence to learn. He helped me through college, uh, stick through it with him. He gave me the right job, uh, including the ones that I, different ones, including the one I have today. And then you ask myself the question, why wouldn't I thank him for that, right? Why wouldn't I? Uh, and then the other question, we'll go back to the ties for a second. Why wouldn't I give some of that back to him? Because if you realize... The lesson that we see right here that Abraham learned and, and was trying to show to the king of Sodom is are we really living like our God is the most high God? Because he's not, if I'm in charge, he's not the most high God. I've put myself in that spot. And are we living as if he possesses everything in heaven and earth? And you think, well, yeah, I believe that. I believe he possesses everything. No, 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 not just outside. Inside, right? He possesses everything. Everything we have, he possesses. And then see, once you start thinking that way, and again, it's so different than the world and the modern church today, it's, it's silly. But if he really owns everything, and he really possesses, you know, and, and he is the possessor of it, and they still belong to him, yet I have it in my hand, that makes me a steward. Isn't that what we see in the Bible? Stewards, where the master owns everything, he puts uh, the steward of the house, or the servants of the house, or different things, he puts them in charge of it while he goes away, and then he comes back at an unknown time, and they give an account for what they've done with what he's left them with. That's the same thing. God's entrusted us with things, not just spiritual things and gifts and talents and time, but also money and possessions. He's given us all these things for us and for him, right? We're his steward. And then it made me think of something. If you were the one with the goods and you were going to entrust somebody to be a steward of your goods, and then after a while, they weren't really trustworthy, because they weren't taking care of it, they weren't really using it, they weren't putting it to the right use, would you trust them with more? No. You think the Lord's any different? You know what we need to do? We need to live our entire life as if God owns us and everything around us. Because he does. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I'll close with this. What? Know ye that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and which ye have of God, and ye are not of your own. 
For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are bought with a price. And that was a heavy price we talked about it this morning. Jesus Christ dying for our sins. Heavy price. So we're not our own. We're just a steward. Right? So what happens with the steward? He's given us a unique relationship. He's saying, hey, I'm going to put these things in your hand. I want you to give me back 10, 12, whatever it is between you and the Lord. I'm going to give that, I want you to give that back to me. And I want you to put the rest to use for my kingdom. Now, does that mean we can never enjoy anything? No. Does that mean we can't uh, ever enjoy what God's blessed us with? No. But that means we need to be put in our lives and what we have and our time and our energy to work for the Lord. Because he is the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. All right, I'm going to open up the altar to prayer. You can pray at your seat. Turn around at your seat or come, I guess, I've got a couple up here. But wherever you want to pray, I'd urge you to pray tonight. Uh, he's a good God. And you think about it. I, it it's hard to imagine this, this, this story. It's just one of those ones that just hits you. And the more you dig into it, the more amazing it is that Abraham, God, God chose Abraham. Right? He chose him. And then you ask him why. What was special about Abraham? He, he, God knew how many times he would fail. God knew how many times he would trust in Egypt or himself or try to fix it with Hagar and, you know, when they weren't able to have a child. Yet God stuck with him. And Abraham learned and grew, sometimes slowly, sometimes made the same mistake twice. That's the same God that loves you and I. Sing Amazing Grace tonight.